You are Locked On Heat, your daily Miami Heat podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Heat Nation. I'm David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Please make sure to follow the show if you haven't already, wherever you listen to podcasts to get the latest episodes. The NBA draft is right around the corner. The GOAT of NBA draft picks Chad Ford and Locked On NBA draft host Raphael Barlow, as well as Locked On NBA host John Corrales, will be live this year covering the NBA draft. It's Locked On NBA Draft 2021, brought to you by Built Bar. Get local expert analysis on each pick. Follow Locked On NBA on YouTube today and watch our live coverage on July 29th, starting at 7 p.m. Eastern. Got the draft. There's kind of juices flowing, right? I, I, a lot of people excited about the upcoming draft. I even talked about a potential undrafted prospect that might fall to Miami if they're interested in bringing in a defensive-minded guard. So make sure to check out that episode from earlier this week where I talk about Colorado's point guard, McKinley Wright the fourth. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about Tyler Hero as well as the notion about super teams and where they're all going and the wake of the Milwaukee Bucks winning their first championship in almost five decades. Uh, also wanted to talk a little bit about the front office because I think there's some concerns there about what happens next and whether or not people within the front office, coaching staff, etc., have the ability to move upwards. And I wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit because I think it's somewhat overblown, but you know, maybe there's some smoke there. But I'll start off at FDX Arena on a nice bright Wednesday afternoon where it was the junior heat summer camp and Tyler Hero managed to speak to kids there for a bit and he also spoke to media members I was there uh, not many media members allowed but I happened to be around for Tyler's comments and glad I did because kind of reaffirmed a lot of what I've been talking about this offseason and I think you hear some of the comments he made. He responded. He always asked questions about his experience with Team USA, about the summer, about the growing concerns about whether or not he's going to be on the roster moving forward. He was asked, uh, I want to say, by Brendan Tobin uh, about the rumors and everything else. And his quote here is, I'm done listening to all that. Honestly, anytime we're not playing, my name is brought up in something. I'm focused on getting better and getting this team better. We're building up to win the championship, and I don't plan on going anywhere. And that's the exact quote you want to hear, right? I feel we kind of talked, I think, at length about the obvious struggles earlier in the season. I think a lot of that had to do with the roster turnover, the fact that Jimmy Butler had missed a significant amount of time due to COVID protocols, that Tyler was embracing and forced into a new role that perhaps he was not quite ready. And look, there were some weaknesses in Tyler's games that I think manifested there as his ability to make plays for others, the lack of physicality, if you will, the shying away from contact. I think these things do matter and they do impact Tyler negatively. But I feel like the drop-off has been so severe from what he was his rookie year and how he was viewed by Heat fans and maybe even fans at large. I mean, I think there were enough prisoners of the moment after his bubble run and some of the heroics that he you know, displayed in Orlando that maybe people thought he was going to skyrocket into superstardom and it didn't quite take off as quickly. I still think he's there as far as the potential is concerned. I think he can be a very, very good player. And as far as whether or not the team views him as such, I think his response is 
perfect. I think he understands that his name's always going to be put out there. I think he's probably heard about um, some of the growing concerns in the front office and maybe even from teammates. I will say that if there's any kind of interpersonal issues there between him and some of his teammates, uh, it might be overblown. We'll never know the full extent of that. And I think that there are some issues perhaps there uh, regarding Tyler's focus and, and whether or not he wants to continue to quote unquote build his brand that it might be at the expense of his commitment to basketball. I, I don't necessarily buy it. I, it's not, I'm not disproving anything or questioning others reporting or anything like that. I just, I don't think it's been so severe. I cannot imagine a world where Tyler was as talked about so positively from one year to the next. And then all of a sudden it's just, let's just completely disregard him as a person, as a player. Let's forget about everything that's, that he's done for this team in just a year and a half under the most difficult and strange circumstances that any young player has to deal with. And the fact that he's 21 and he is got a whole long career ahead of him. And of that, I have no doubt. I think his talent will translate. I think his abilities will continue to grow and expand. And I think he'll be able to show more and more the kind of overall all around game that we're hoping that he'll develop, you know, consistently over the next few years, whether it's in Miami or not, who knows? There's always a potential. I look, I, I will, I will break it down like this as far as the trade talks is concerned. Again, I've gone on record saying I don't think he gets moved. I think you're not going to get a significant upgrade over Tyler and packaging him for a superstar seems unrealistic. Making a lateral move, in my opinion, of say Colin Sexton or something along those lines, doesn't seem like it nets. It puts Miami in a position where they're significantly better. I just, I don't see where the move is to exchange Tyler for a star player and if you're just going to get a lateral move as far as another guard that maybe compliments Jimmy differently maybe compliments Bam differently I could see why it would pay off but I just I don't also see why you would make a lateral move you need to improve not just stay lateral for that why not take a chance on the 20 year old with a lot of upside uh you know that, that's that's not my two take my, my two cents there regarding Tyler and and what's going on there I think the move is difficult for the team. I don't think they can trade him. And I also think that he fits with what they're trying to do. And look, his response also about Team USA, picture perfect. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you want to hear from a player, a young player particularly, that he got a chance to compete against some of the the best players in the world. And I know that maybe their record in exhibition play in Las Vegas doesn't really show that. But you're looking at all-stars in Team USA. And Tyler's right up there with him in terms of his ability to hold his own. And that, that was a quote. That kind of flew under the radar. A lot of people didn't really bring that up. It was loud. It was noisy. There were kids running around, uh, airplanes flying overhead, just general noise being out in Biscayne Bay. He couldn't quite pick up that quote. Luckily, I was right next to him as he said it. And he said, quote, unquote, I can play with the best of them. That was his takeaway from his experience in Las Vegas as part of the select men's national team for Team USA. And I think he's absolutely spot on. Like, I, I mean, I'm not comparing him to Bradley Beal or Kevin Durant or any of the other players that are currently representing the United States in the Olympics. That's foolish. That's not to say that he cannot get to that point, that he can't hold his own. I think we've seen that scoring ability. I think, look, I mean, maybe it's a little different in those kind of scrimmages. Maybe he's not being exposed or targeted and things of that sort. But I think overall, he is still a player with a lot of upside. 
and he can contribute to this team moving forward. I don't know if the team is willing to take that chance or wait. My feeling is that they should. I don't know that they necessarily would. But again, my my concern is you're not going to get a superstar in exchange for Tyler, and a lateral move doesn't help this team to get better. Now, can his can it be a, a matter of addition by subtraction? Only if he's become such a negative locker room presence where you have to you know, get rid of Tyler. And I just, I don't think he's there yet. I'm not privy to it. Again, others have reported that there is a growing disconnect between him and some of the veterans on that team. Can't speak to that. Won't speak to it. I just think that it seems unlikely that things have gotten so bad so quickly. Now, Tyler did also speak about the things that he's trying to improve, specifically wanting to expand his shooting and make sure that he is a much more consistent scorer. A big part of that also putting on weight, talked about a goal of putting about 10 to 15 pounds on, and he said he's about four or five pounds heavier than he was at the end of last season. I buy it. He looked to me a little bit more sturdy. Maybe I'm misremembering things. Uh, I think he's also shown the capacity to put in a lot of work. He's always been dedicated and I think he's going to continue to be so. And I also think it's a positive sign that, as silly as it might be, that he's there at the junior NBA camp, at their junior heat camp. I think that's, you know, that, that the franchise views him as a guy who is very popular amongst fans and doesn't want to trade him away. I, I just think it shows all the positivity there. Maybe I, I'm looking at this from a unbiased perspective, or a biased perspective, excuse me. Because to me, I just I have such a hard time wrapping my mind around why things fell off quickly. There were lots of mistakes there. It was a shitty season overall for this team. Like, everybody fell short. Bam had his moments. Jimmy had his moments. Jimmy was fantastic. And still, anything that the lasting image of him is saying, I'm stupidly locked in. I like my chances against anybody. And then getting just destroyed by the Milwaukee Bucks and shut down completely. So where, where's the takeaway here? I mean, no one's going to trash Jimmy, right? Although there are plenty of concerns about his age and his lack of scoring and shooting and things of that sort. Can he continue to draw fouls moving forward? I mean, Gorn got older. The team was worse. The team needs to get better. And I think it needs to do so by improving their chemistry, by getting the right players. Because I'll say this again, I just don't know how realistic it is that you're going to acquire a superstar. You just don't have the assets right now to do so. And if we look at Phoenix's run, while they fell a couple games short of being able to challenge the Bucks for the title, I think they were right there in it. And they had the right character guys like Jay Crowder, like all the other players on that roster to complement stars like Chris Paul, like Devin Booker. You have to find the right guys to fit alongside Jimmy and Bam because you're not trading those two. And so who plays to those strengths? Who can fill in the gaps on this roster that make Jimmy and Bam a better cohesive unit. And I think that's the question. That's the challenge for the Miami Heat front office, which I'll talk about in the next segment. But first, just a reminder that if you're looking for the parts for your car or truck, there is no need to go anywhere else other than the business that's been serving customers online for two decades. That's rockauto.com, a family-owned business that's been serving customers for 20 years. You can go to a chain storefront. You can ask somebody behind a counter. They'll ask you questions in exchange. Maybe they have the part you're looking for. Maybe they don't. Maybe they try charging you for another part that you might not need altogether. 
Why go through all that hassle? You can go to rockauto.com, use their easy to use navigate, you know, easy to navigate website and find the parts you're looking for in just a few easy seconds. You make a few easy clicks here and there, you get it delivered directly and safely to your door. It's so much more convenient than going anywhere else. Why bother going through that so that they can look things up on a computer? You've got a computer at home. Go to rockauto.com, save money, save time, use rockauto.com, a family-owned business that you can support and has been supporting customers like you for 20 years. And best of all, if you place an order right now, you can go to the section that says, how did you hear about us? And write the phrase locked on so they know we sent you. It's amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. That's rockauto.com. The debate following Milwaukee's win over the Phoenix Suns to close out the 2021 season. I can't believe I'm saying that, right? The season. It feels like it's been such a whirlwind. I mean, between the shutdown last March, then the start of the new season in the Orlando bubble in July and August, and then, of course, the season ending prematurely for Miami in early October, and then restarting again about two months later. It's just been a, a crazy, crazy past year. Just over a year? I can't believe that. In over a year, we've seen one season die, restart, end, restart, and end again. And I <laughs> I don't know that I've ever fully recovered. But anyway, the, the Bucks have won the NBA title. Whatever. That is what it is. I, I'm still not on the mindset that Milwaukee winning the championship makes it any better that they kicked Miami's ass, that Miami was swept by the Bucks. I, I just it's hard for me to feel uh, to take any any positives about that because the things that worked against Miami, well, hell, they didn't work against anybody else. Brent Forbes was a non-factor for the rest of the playoffs. Brooke Lopez wasn't destroying opponents the same way he was Miami. I, I don't know if Miami might have fared any better against Brooklyn or Atlanta or any of the opponents that Milwaukee beat on their way to the title, but it, it just it seemed like they had a different edge against Miami than they had against anybody else. It's not discounting their championship or anything like that, but I just don't know what to take from all this. But I do know that the talk about super teams and Milwaukee building the team the quote-unquote right way does piss me off. And I think a lot of that is because they didn't. It's absolutely disingenuous. They drafted Giannis. They got really lucky because they were bad for a long time. He got better. And I don't think any of Milwaukee's development or anything like that had much to do with it other than Giannis being really determined to become an all-time great. Uh, if you look at some of the excerpts making their way around the Twitter sphere from Mirren Fader and her new book about Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, which you should all go check out if you want to read about Giannis. Uh, I will not encourage you to do so. But in any case, uh, if you're interested in that, it's on the ringer. It's uh, some excerpts that have been making their way around. Uh, you look at you know one of the coaches from Giannis's early career, Jason Kidd, who I've you know frequently said is not a good coach and should not be a good coach and should not be considered a coaching option because of things that he's done in his past and because he's just, again, not a good coach. And now it's the Dallas Mavericks head coach, so go figure. In any case, some of the things that he does as a coach, absolutely mind-boggling and just so dysfunctional and just tore things apart. And I understand that Giannis – really gravitated towards Kidd because he was an all-time great himself as a player anyway. And I think for Giannis's perspective, a guy who had very little experience playing basketball, 
he came in there as such a blank slate and wanted to learn as much as possible about the game that he respected Kid's perspective. He respected what Kid could do. And now he's turned himself into one of the greatest players uh, in the game today and perhaps will end as one of the greatest of all time. I think it's not it's not unfair to, or, or perhaps not premature to start considering the fact that Giannis at 26 already has a pretty impressive resume as a finals MVP, a one-time champion, a two-time MVP, a defensive player of the year, etc. Those are... Those are some impressive accolades. Again, it's 26. That he was drafted when he was like eight doesn't change anything. He's been in the league a few years, but he's gotten better. And I think a lot of that has to do with himself. So I, as far as the super team conversation goes, I really I don't like it because I feel like everybody in the small market argument versus large markets, nobody wants to come here. Well, then be better. Milwaukee got free agents. P.J. Tucker was able to go to that team. Yeah, maybe he was acquired via trade, but they, they threw the right pieces at Houston, and they made it happen. You know, Drew Holiday was acquired there. I think they've made trades or they've added players in the past. I mean, you know, be be a better run organization. And Giannis saying, oh, we did it. We did it the hard way. I could have gone and joined a super team, et cetera, et cetera. It's so ridiculous. Like, they have their super team, or as close as you're going to get in today's NBA. Chris Middleton was already there, or he was acquired, you know, as a, a, a cast-off Basically, you remember you remember when he was a Detroit Piston or when he was in the G League and barely struggling there? I mean, this is the Middleton that they have now. It's not that they don't have a super team. It's just a very different version of, of where they were a few years ago. And it's been mostly internal growth. And they've had to make several changes over the past few years to build this team. Maybe not a super team, but not this, you know, scrappy underdog team that's finally figured it out or anything like that. It took them a long time. They made a lot of changes. And you look at their roster. Drew Holiday, all-star. Brooke Lopez, all-star. Giannis and Middleton, all-stars. I mean, that was a good team. They traded away Eric Bledsoe in exchange for Drew Holiday and a million draft picks, and it paid off. And I think you look at what the, the team and the way it's been built, it's... I don't know. Again, it's not a super team, but it's as close as you're going to get. And they made the right moves. They made roster changes. They were going to add, you know, Bogdan Bogdanovich. I, I mean, <laughs> they they were they were going to add another potent scorer in their lineup to to make up for Dante Divincenzo, you know, or Pat Connaughton, whoever the guys that, that are kind of filling that role as a, in the in the backcourt there. So I just I find that really really disingenuous. I don't like the small market conversation. I'm really really sick of it. And I, I just tire of these narratives persisting here about how these teams are built and that they did it the right way. It always feels like a slight. Maybe this is my my own personal bias here, of which I have no doubt. I just don't like the conversation stemming back from 2010 about you know how Miami assembled that team. I can go back even further. Back at once upon a time when I used to love baseball and watch it closely and to watch the 1997 World Series and to see that team that was bought, not built, to hear Bob Costas uh, talking about during the World Series, during games themselves, about how this team had been you know, sla- you know, know, hastily put together, that Wayne Huizinga, the owner of the team at that time, had just acquired all these free agents and put them all together, that they weren't a good team because they hadn't been toiling away for years. Get the fuck out of here. Like, I am so sick of that conversation. There is no team at any point in time that hasn't acquired a player here and there in order to help their chances of winning a title. They drafted Giannis. This is not a a built, not bought team kind of thing. You know, that conversation, again, in San Antonio, 
Very, very disingenuous. Also, hated it then. Hated it in 1997 when I was talking about the Marlins. Hated it when it was in 2010 about the assemblage of the Heat. And again, that was the conversation in 2011, right, in the finals. Poor Dirk Nowitzki. He hasn't won a title. He's been here for so long. And it's like, yeah, well, the team sucked for a long time. And, and you know, 2006, they ran into this guy named Dwayne Wade. He was pretty damn good. It's not that Dallas was a bad team or this poor, lowly team that couldn't do things the quote-unquote right way. And what about that 2011 team? Was Jason Kidd drafted by the Mavericks? Well, yeah, actually, he was drafted by the Mavericks, but that's a whole other conversation. He came back as an older player, a guy who had accomplished quite a bit at that point in time in order to help your chances. Jason Terry wasn't drafted by the Mavericks. Uh, you know, all the other players that contributed to that 2011 title. I'm just, I'm so sick of this conversation. There is no right way to build a team. And quit attaching the idea of right or wrong to how you build a team. Every team is built pretty much the same way. You draft, you hit on that draft. If you're lucky, maybe those players don't turn into a superstar. Very unlikely. And if not, maybe they'll turn into a serviceable player. Then you add a couple here and there. You make right trades, and that's how you build your roster. There is no perfect solution, and none of them are more right or more true or more fair or, I don't know, whatever moral compass you want to use shouldn't direct you towards team building in the NBA. It's apples to who gives a fuck about oranges. Uh, sorry, pardon my French. But I'm just so really sick about this talk about, oh, Milwaukee, poor Milwaukee, building the team the way they did. Yes, nobody wanted to go join your shitty-ass team with your shitty-ass coach doing your shitty-ass things. You drafted Jabari Parker, he blew out his knee 18 times, and he didn't turn into the player that a lot of you expected him to be. That's what happened. That's why you fell short of those titles. You know, that's why you never or didn't make the playoffs early on in Giannis's career and on and on. Or why you fell short in the NBA bubble. It wasn't because of anything. There wasn't any kind of, you know, problems with that roster a year ago, except for Eric Bledsoe. Then you traded him along with a lot of your assets in order to acquire Drew Holiday. The move paid off. Quit attaching narratives. It's not a moral thing here. There's no right way to build a team. This isn't the right way for Giannis. He, it's not all of a sudden now people, media members, who cover quote-unquote small market teams are looking at Giannis and saying, yes, we have a chance. And this is not something that can be duplicated, by the way. Oklahoma City, with your 5 million first and second round picks over the next 10 years, you're probably not going to win a championship that way. You're not going to get Giannis. You have to be very, very lucky to get Giannis. And again, you get Giannis, and maybe Giannis and 29 other teams doesn't work out. Or maybe he does, but it's not because of anything that Milwaukee did right. It's because of Giannis himself and trying to improve and get to that next level. And maybe it works out somewhere else, and maybe it doesn't. It worked out for Milwaukee. Congratulations to the Bucks, And that's all there is to it. There's no right way to do this. Sorry. That was a tangent there, but I one that I've been wanting to get off my chest as these constant conversations keep having from you know people around the NBA, not just fans, but media members, talking about, oh, Finally, Giannis winning a title shows that you don't have to be one of these heartless mercenary teams like the Miami Heat and building a championship contender with your smart trades and being able to lure your franchise-type players. Yeah, isn't that what you're kind of supposed to do? And look, one of the things that gets really ignored in all this is that Miami frequently does not have the assets to acquire these players because they don't tank, and they're always competitive, and they always lose. And yes, maybe they, they always win. I'm sorry. it's they're, they're always right there. Maybe they're not quite good enough to be a contender. Maybe they'll never contend during Jimmy Butler's tenure in Miami. That's a realistic possibility. They might never go back to the NBA Finals again. It's really hard 
Chris Paul is a damn good player, although maybe he wasn't necessarily in the NBA Finals, but he's been a pretty good player for a long time. This was his first trip to the Finals. It's very difficult to get there. It's not an indictment on these teams. We have to change the way we look at these conversations because they're really, really unfair to players, and they take away from how hard it is to get here. You know, this isn't a conversation about anything else other than Milwaukee did a really good job to get to this NBA Finals, that they were able to take advantage of certain things that went wrong for other teams along the way. Again, not an indictment on the Bucks. They took advantage, and that's what you should do. And that's what Miami's been able to do, and that's why there is no right or wrong when it comes to team building. And Miami has still managed to be a very successful team over the last 26 seasons. But enough about that. If you want to place a bet on whether or not Miami has a chance of winning the NBA Finals next year, then the best place to go to is Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season's in full swing. You can track all the action at Bet Online. You get all the latest news and odds about Major League Baseball, the NHL, and so many other sports around the world. Before the next pitch, head over to Bet Online on your laptop or mobile device and check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest information. Don't sit on the silence anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online. Your online sportsbook experts, and don't forget to use that promo code locked on. So, as a reminder, listen to the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 presented by Locked On and Odyssey, featuring analysis from the GOAT of NBA Mock Drafts, Chad Ford, and Odyssey NBA experts Brian Scalabrine and former general manager Ryan McDonough. Our Locked On NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite basketball teams throughout this week long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Odyssey is your audio home. For all the sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you, that's A-U-D-A-C-Y. Kicking us off here midweek, but you know you probably should be listening to that mock draft. It's fantastic. What an incredible job from my colleagues around the network. They've done so much great work. They've put together a really amazing product, and I think it just if you're interested in the draft at all, and I know how a lot of Heat fans, especially now that they don't have a pick, might be less interested in the draft. I totally get that. But if you want to find out about some of the young players that are going to be changing the NBA landscape, not next season necessarily, but beyond, then this is the way to go. And you get a really good nuanced perspective of how some of these teams operate and what their priorities are. So I really have enjoyed listening to these, and I think you will too. But I want to get to a question that was submitted via Twitter by Mike Cantwell. He wrote in, Maybe not a great subject, but if you get bored, I guess, I, I, I guess I'm bored already. I've wondered who's going to take over for Pat Riley. Is Spro going to move into the front office and we bring back a coach like Dan Craig? Or would ownership go in a completely different direction? That's a that's a really good question. And I'm, something that I wanted to touch on because, you know, I've seen a lot of people kind of talk about this in context of, like some of the things that have happened lately between Dwayne Wade going to Utah, uh, the fact that Dan Craig went and joined the Clippers, uh, between you know just Shane Battier leaving the front office for a reduced role, he's going to stay on as a consultant, things of that sort. I think a lot of people kind of started to wonder whether or not there's a plateau within the organization and whether or not maybe they're not promoting people in that front office as often as they should be. And I think it might be a legitimate concern. And if anything, kind of speaks to the fact that, well, 
there have been people with his front office within the front office that have been there for decades plus, and it shows the stability of this front office. And, and maybe you're right. Maybe 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 people who enter this line of work are determined to get a bigger role. They want a promotion. They can't just be happy being the vice president of something. They want to be the director of something. They want to be the person who calls the shots. And I think a lot of people saw Shane as next in line for general manager or the president of basketball operations. They saw him and his savvy with analytics, the numbers, his overall intelligence, the fact that he knows the game as well as anybody. And they thought he could be a good, interesting voice to help take this franchise in a new direction eventually once Pat Riley eventually retires. I mean, and that's the whole other thing. Nobody knows when Pat's leaving. Pat doesn't know when he's leaving. I think he still likes it too much. I think he's still a powerful voice. I think players, by and large, still respond to Pat. I I think that will wane. That will wane. I think you will see more 20-something-year-olds that may not really know who the hell Pat Riley is. And if they don't know who Pat Riley is, then there's no real reason to gravitate towards his larger-than-life personality. I think Pat, the human being, like I, we've, I've discussed this before. I'll go into it again. Pat, the image that we all have of him, again, of them, this slick back hair, the Armani suits, you know, the, the, the crafted personality that was developed in Los Angeles, that ain't really him. It's never been him. That's why only the Lakers were like that because they had Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and James Worthy and Bob McAdoo and all the other players, the greats that helped build that team into the Showtime era that Pat Riley happened to coach. But Pat Riley, the real Pat Riley, is a guy who coached the Knicks into a really bloody affair every time they got onto the floor that were going to punch Michael Jordan and make him work for everything that punched Miami when Miami got taken over by Pat Riley and became another copycat version of that same team. You know, dedicated to defense above all else, hardest working, toughest minded, et cetera, et cetera. All the accolades, all the the, the pejoratives that you want to use about Miami and, and that culture – come from Pat Riley and his Schenectady blue-collar roots. Maybe I'm not saying anything that you don't already know, but I think we, it gets easy to kind of picture Pat being this really slick guy and everything else. And there's no denying he's slick. He's also very good at connecting on a very human level, and I think he understands players, what they want. He makes them want to feel good about themselves. He makes them feel good about themselves and tells you, look, if you want to feel better, by challenging yourself, which is, well, I mean, I think that's the nature of being in the NBA. 99% of the guys in the league have challenged themselves to get to this point. Some fall ass backwards. They can't help it. I mean, you're seven foot two, you can't teach height, and you just get drafted, and then you wind up not quite being engaged enough, not being as driven as you might, uh, you know, as teams might think that you should be, and then you wind up losing your spot there. But for Pat, he winds up taking these guys and, and just helping mold them and, and taking them and taking their games to another level. So when it comes to the front office, I think he'll have influence there for a few more years. I just don't know how long that influence will extend. To Mark's question, I have said before, and I'll say it again, I don't think Eric Spolstra likes that. Uh, we saw what happened with Boston and Brad Stevens after Danny Ainge. Unex, you know, you know, unexpectedly decided to resign from his post. There have been some rumors that he might eventually join the Utah Jazz because he is a Mormon, he went to BYU, and because I think he could fit into uh, that culture there. But I, I think Stevens, that kind of move from coaching to general management, I, I, it seems a very unusual one. Not many, not many coaches will make that kind of change. 
I don't know that Spo necessarily sees it. I think he likes connecting with players on such a regular basis by being out in the trenches with them. Like he's still youngish. He's still fit. Like he still runs drills. He still does things that young coaches do. And I think he still likes that grind, that activity. There might be a point down the road where he does not like it because, you know, his kids are older. Maybe they go to college. Maybe they go to school and high school. And maybe they'll have their own basketball career, right? It's always an option. You never know. He, they could wind up having something or in sports. Let's say it may not even be basketball. Whatever activities that kids, his kids in particular, might engage in as they get older. And Spo, like a lot of parents, wants to be a part of it. Maybe he'll say, you know what, I, I can't deal with the traveling. I, I don't want to do with this. But that's years down the road. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, and I think it would. You'll have to find somebody in between, unless Pat potentially stays on for the next ten years. Now, the conversation about whether or not there's a lack of uh, upward mobility, maybe. I, I just don't. I think it's kind of overstated. I think they've managed to keep people on in this franchise for such a long time because there is such a family environment. Maybe it's just a comfort level, and you just say, you know what, I don't feel like moving on. But you also you know, everybody kind of points to the Dan Craig coaching thing and says, oh, there's no place for coaches to go because Spo's got everybody locked on. Yeah, no no pun intended. But isn't that what's supposed to happen? Don't you – like, look at Coach Popovich. I, I mean, the Coach Pop tree is something that everybody talks about. You're supposed to coach your assistants to get that position, to, to put themselves in a place where they can succeed. And I think if Dan Craig eventually gets hired as an NBA coach – a lot of that will be because, well, he succeeded in Miami. He was able to succeed in Los Angeles uh, under Ty Lu, And I think he'll continue to get that recognition. Maybe he's just not that kind of a name just yet. Maybe he'll eventually get there. But I think working with Spo and then working with Lou will help him in that possibility. And, and I think, look, you already started to see some rumors. I mean, you look at Jawan Howard taking over from Michigan. He's already linked to some head coaching jobs in the NBA. Uh, you have players that have played for Spo already talking about, oh, I learned from Spo how to be a good coach. You look at Chris Quinn. He was rumored to be one of the, I think it was reported, actually. I don't, I, maybe I'm misspeaking here. I, I believe he was on a target list to take over for the Wizards as their head coach after they fired Scott Brooks earlier this summer. So, I think there's room for these people to grow. It just might not be within the organization, and that's fine. It's not an indictment on this team. They're doing the right thing. They're giving him the kind of experience that they need in order to get better, and then they continue to look for other opportunities elsewhere. You can't stay, or maybe you can. You can stay an assistant coach forever. I mean, we saw Mac do that for a long time with Spo, and before that with Riley. We saw Ron Rosting be a part of that coaching search. I mean, coaching bench for a long time. You're at a point in your life where you want to continue doing something, and whether it's in Miami or elsewhere, you'll have those opportunities. I just I don't think Miami is necessarily capping anybody in their front office from growth or moving on or anything like that. The Shane thing kind of caught everybody off guard because, again, he was viewed as the next potential Riley to take over. And maybe it's a little strange. I, I, I think – there was some lingering resentment about Dwayne Wade taking over in Utah and not being a part of the Heat front office, and I think that's fair. I also think that we've seen enough players do that consistently. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal taking over you know, ownership for the Kings after basically burying their playoff chances during his Lakers tenure. I, I think, you know, look at Michael Jordan taking over part of the the Washington Wizards after his playing days were done. Uh, you know, eventually he came back to North Carolina to – own the Hornets, he's rich enough to do so, and it hasn't exactly always paid off for the Hornets either. So I, I don't, as much as you might 
might want Dwayne to take over a piece of Heat ownership. Uh, maybe this is still a process for him. Maybe he's still, still like an assistant coach in the run of the NBA, kind of understanding what that means to be an owner or a part owner of a team before taking a larger stake in the future. Maybe it's something that's available to him. I don't know. I don't know what Dwayne's financial situation is. I don't know if he can eventually take over a team from the Arisons. That seems like it's we're com- you know kind of talking about billionaires versus really really wealthy millionaires. A conversation I hate having because I, I am in neither group, but I'm sure most of you aren't either. Uh, but I, I don't I don't think that Dwayne left Miami because of any bad blood or anything like that. I think we also want to believe that these players will be have these lifelong connections with a team that they played for, and I think we all saw in 2016 that that connection can only go so far. So best of luck to Shane Battier. Best of luck to Dwayne Wade. Best of luck to anybody who wears a Heat uniform and looks for an opportunity to better themselves in some way or another. Maybe they'll do it here in Miami, and maybe they won't. Uh, to Mike's question, I don't know who's going to take over for Pat Riley. I don't think Spoh's going to do it necessarily, not yet. And in the meantime, I don't know who else on this staff is going to take over. I think I've heard that they're grooming Mickey Arison's son, Nick. He's taking on a, a much larger role over time. That makes sense. If he's a guy who's just been around basketball so much that he can just be that guy, he's involved in a lot of these free agent meetings. So I, I think they have Riley as a closer, the guy who makes these connections. Harrison brings in those numbers. You get guys like uh, you know Alonzo Mourning, who has a lot of cachet around the league because he was a player. He's a Hall of Fame player. And I think that speaks volumes about this culture and the fact that they keep their guys and things of that sort. I mean, there's enough former Heat players on staff there where you kind of just have to say, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So I, I think there are, there are concerns about who takes over for Pat, but it's not something you have to look at right away. And there are no clear options yet. My guess would be Nick Harrison, but we'll see what happens in the future. Just a reminder that you can always reach me via email at LockedOnHeat. If you want to send in a question like Mike did, you can always reach me at LockedOnHeat at gmail.com or via Twitter using the hashtag AskLHeat. Be sure to please follow the show and leave a review. A lot of reviews lately. Please keep those coming. Want to get your feedback one way or another. Send me an email. Send me a direct message. It's the offseason, folks. I need help here. I can't always, you know, I'm, I'm not any of my distinguished competitors where I have 20 people on staff. So <laughs> I've got to come up with ideas of my own. I've got some things in the work here that I want to continue to put out for you. But I can always use more off-season content. So between now and the draft and free agency, hopefully I'll have enough to put out regular daily shows. But on the off chance that I might you know, fall short here and there, I could always use those suggestions about the draft, about free agency, about any questions. I got a great question about, uh, well, I'll have to save it for another time. That's what's called a tease, everybody. I'm a professional. Special thanks to all of our sponsors for supporting today's show. But... Special thanks to all of you most of all. This is David Ramil signing off for now.